The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. All right, we're back. It's The Counter. I'm Chris Corman, joined by Charles McDonald, our usual... Uh, friend steven ruiz is not with us this week he's taking some time off last time we spoke to him he was at the grocery store uh yeah. you know getting some goods charles what's, what's, whole foods yeah no he's he's a trader joe's guy we, we discuss it he's, yeah i just have to give some slander off <laughs> giving bezos that money bezos needs it man uh how have you been what's what's been going on uh, and you know. we took a, what did we do? We took a week off, I guess, after the Super Bowl. Yeah, kind of. Uh, and got some got some tough news last week uh, with the passing of uh, Terrell's Paler, who was not only a mentor for me, but <laughs> like literally, basically every young black person that you know that's writing about football. Right. He has had, or he, not has had, he had some uh, some like positive influences like in their in our lives so uh you know getting the news i guess it was last tuesday yeah last tuesday last wednesday was uh it's pretty tough uh it it was crazy because like i had just spoken to him uh a few days before the super bowl we were talking about a podcast he did with robert mays where it was like we were just talking about you know like theories on how to build a team like if you go quarterback first or you build a team and then add the quarterback and uh it, that's like that's just who Therese was like he loved football right. more than more than anything like and, and I can say this like I know that I love football and obviously you know the people we work with love football and a lot of people love football but I don't think anyone in the media like love football more than Therese and that's right. kind of how our bond started uh because I remember I was at the senior bowl I want to say it was 2018 is when yeah. I first met Therese. And right. like, basically if like, if you're still there at the senior bowl on Thursday, <laughs> right. when like, cause, because the thing about, I think, I don't think that a lot of people know about the senior bowl is uh, if you're not coaching in the game, then there's a good chance that you're gone. Like Wednesday night before the Thursday practice even happens. Like right. you go to that Thursday practice, like all the scouts are gone. Basically all the coaches are gone. Jerry Jones is most certainly gone. And if you're still there watching Thursday, senior world practice when no one else is in town, like you pretty much are just obsessed with football. And that's where I met Therese and we hit it off immediately. And like literally from that day on, like he was someone that was in my corner and, uh, vouch for me all the time. And I know that a lot of my other friends have, uh, you know, similar experiences with them. And to be honest, mm-hmm. like I, I honestly probably would not <laughs> even be working here at for the win, uh, without Therese's guidance, because I'm sure, you know, most people who follow me online, uh, saw that I had a pretty, insane <laughs> i guess yeah. insane insane sort of right word yeah it's uh, definitely break up with uh daily news where i was basically put into a situation where i was like shadow reporting for someone who didn't have access to the team and you know it just got to a point where it was untenable i didn't feel supported by my higher up so uh the first person that i called actually was therese and i was like bro I got a story that is going to absolutely blow your mind. And he was like, we can talk right now if you need to. And, you know, I I just think about that willingness to just give and talk. And I kind of wish that I I give him more because I feel like it was a one-sided relationship. A lot of time with me just kind of like leeching off his ideas and his advice. But I think that's honestly what he was here for. And I remember when I told him what had happened, he was like, (laughs) he was like, bro, like, I never heard nothing like that before. <laughs> and to be honest, I don't have any advice for you because that's crazy, but uh, I can get you in touch with people who, uh, who actually can help you. So, you know, I uh, started talking to his buddies from Howard university, Steve Weish and Jim Trotter. And that's kind of how we started to figure a way out of it. And I know that right. those guys are hurting pretty bad because uh you know, they have a, uh, like the HBCU connection with Therese right. and it's, uh, it's been a tough week, but yeah, you know, yeah. I, I, I take solace in the fact that in such a short time, he managed to impact so many people. Like I was talking to, uh, 
my friends, uh, Rhiannon Walker and uh, Marcel Louis-Jacques. Rhiannon covers the Washington football team for the Atlantic, and Marcel covers the Bills for ESPN. And we we're just like, man, like, you know, it, it sucks that he's gone and we're all hurting pretty bad. But at least we know that he was able to, you know, help out a lot of people in a, in a short amount of time. So I guess, you know, I, I kind of think that the best way you can kind of keep this thing moving in honor of him is just, uh, you know, he told me once after he helped me out with the daily news situation, just to pay it forward to other black journalists. So that's something I'm going to do. And obviously just keep sharing the love and joy he had for football. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, Therese, he was only 37 years old. Uh, he'd been working at Yahoo most recently, but he was at the Kansas city star for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I first heard about him when he was there. Uh, Cause I was working in Indiana when I was younger and, and he was covering high schools and, uh, even that job, you know, covering high school sports can be really hard. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's oh, yeah. there's none, there's none of the glamour, you know, you're taking your own stats. Most of the time you are trying to corral coaches who may or may not want to give you information or, or be involved in the process. I mean, it's, it's a tough gig. Uh, and I, I know my memory of that time was that he was, uh, he attacked it with just amazing gusto that he was like as much as he loves football now and could talk about it. He could do the same thing with like, you know, the girls volleyball teams of the area. Like he gave that much passion to it. Uh, and that's how he worked his way up to eventually covering the chiefs and then becoming a national writer. Uh, and he, the video, I, I think that, that brought it home for me was they uh, posted some outtakes of, of him doing actual videos. And, yeah. uh, you know, he, I mean, he was a good singer. He had some pipes. <laughs> he, he really good. did. He really did. Uh, I know. I, <laughs> I was like, Whoa. And it just came out of nowhere. Uh, but he, you know, you could just see he had a ton of life and he was great on Yahoo's podcast. Uh, you know, I, I, as I was working on, this show and thinking about what we wanted our show to be and, and how we wanted to, to unfold and sound and the mood and tone. I was listening to all those shows and, and he stood out, you know, again, because of the passion and, and the warmth that he brought. Uh, and it is, you know, we, on this show, we talked about so many times about the NFL's problems with hiring uh, black men into coaching or GM positions. Uh, but the media has these, the same exact problem. We do not have, mm-hmm. uh, we do not create enough opportunities for black writers, female writers, uh, POC writers in general. Uh, and people like Therese helped us, you know, awaken to that and, and helped nurture guys like you and many others. Um, and it's been just an awful time because yeah. before Therese passed Vaughn McClure, uh, who, who covered the Falcons for a long time, also passed. Uh, he was a giant in uh, football writing. Uh, you know, he was about 10 years older, I think, than Therese. And, you know, they were on – these are two guys on the same path, the same – Yeah, the same like Hall of Fame uh, – Type careers, right, right. I mean, Therese was already a Hall of Fame voter too, <laughs> right, and he was, and he was an influential one. Like he is the one who got uh, people to to pay attention to Terrell Owens and 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 really advocate that this is the guy who who should be in the hall. Like you need to strip away some of this other nonsense, uh, and that's that's a like him standing up for that among that group you know i know a lot of the older voters uh i've ha- i had mentors who, who are are sort of that old guard of nfl hall of fame voter uh that's a bold thing for Torres to do uh at, at his age and his station in life uh, at, the, at the time like that uh, was you know you do the force of will that that took to to push that through is really impressive um so yeah, it's been it's been a tough tough time for that. I mean, you guys, it's a close knit group of of writers who 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 sort of bonded over trying to make their way in this profession, right? Like I know you yeah. guys are meeting at the combine and, and other places whenever whenever. You yeah, it, I mean it's it's crazy. I mean, uh, because like like you said, like media has a problem with kind of hiring people, so. Yeah, we are, we are like we are all really close. Uh, like I remember when I uh, like I met I met my friend Rhiannon uh, like right. a, a few years ago in DC, 
and like basically just being off the strength of being like a black person that covers football, we became super close friends. And, you know, that's how it is with, you know, a friend, Richard Johnson, uh, right. I already spoke about Marcel, uh, basically like if, if you are black and writing about football, like we all kind of, we all kind of know each other. And I think right. that's why, you know, last week kind of hit so hard because it was like, man, like there aren't, there aren't that many of us. And, you know, even fewer of us that get to make like an actual impact on the way that football is looked at and covered. And, you know, we, we lost a Titan and, you yeah. know, it's, it's, it sucks. Uh, but, you know, I just kind of take solace in the fact that, you know, I had so many good interactions with him. Uh, right. You know, legitimately did see him as a, a friend and a mentor. I remember one time he was in uh, Richmond. This is when I still lived in D.C. He was still in Richmond. Uh, I think it was covering like training camp or something. Uh, oh, yeah, because I was, I was before I went down there for a few days. Uh, and he drove up from Richmond to D.C. like just to talk and get lunch. And that's kind of that's kind of the guy he was. And I, for those of you familiar with there, you know that that's not an easy drive to make. Uh all the time, especially, I mean, just driving in DC in general, it can be terrible. Uh, but he was just gracious with his time and I know I'm going to miss him, but I, I think, you know, it's just, I, I like the fact that I can just kind of find solace in something we have in common. That's just love of football. Cause right. I, I didn't go to like a journalism school or anything or have any internships. Uh, I just kind of figured out how to, get my way into this because I, I love football and I, I like writing. So uh, I just kind of made it work. And that's where I found common ground to res and we hit it off and right. it just, it sucks to see him gone so soon. Yeah. It's awful. Well, I hope that uh, if we have any listeners who, you know, are thinking about a, a, a path like Charles's that you guys will reach out to him. Cause uh, I know, you, you know, that you're right. Like that is the way to, to pay it forward and to, to honor his mm -hmm. memory is just for us to continue helping uh, people like who had that, the spirit that Therese had um, helping them get into the business and shine too. So uh, I hope you guys will reach out if, if that's any of you out there. Uh, all right. We're going to talk uh, this show today. We're going to sort of look ahead at the off season uh, we're gonna we're gonna update on some some news that's going on since we last spoke uh, in the first block here, but then we're gonna dig in on key dates, sort of how this off season is gonna unfold. It's a little bit different because of the coronavirus pandemic <laughs> that is still raging, uh, so we will sort of trace that. And then Charles has spotlighted uh, the offensive free agents that he's most intrigued about, and you know we'll discuss those players and we'll highlight three, three teams, I think is what we came up with that really have both the cap space, because again, remember this, the, the cap situation is constrained by the lack of revenue. Uh, I think the last number I saw was 185 million, uh, which is a little bit higher than, than worst case scenario, but not anywhere close to where it should be. So uh, this is going to be a, an extremely weird off season because of that. Uh, so it's hard to predict, but we will do our best to sort of trace out the teams that both have the money uh, seemingly available to make moves and the needs and can really take a leap by signing some of these guys we're going to highlight. Um, so we'll dig in on that. And I think next week we'll uh, look at the defensive side of the ball and, and trace that out. And, you know, we're going to get into start getting in a draft. I know Charles has been watching the quarterbacks a little bit and some other players. So we're tracing our, our strategy for trying to figure out how to tackle the draft. There's no combine this year. So it's a little bit different trying to ascertain, uh, you know, which players are, are getting the buzz and which ones are moving up and down boards. But that's uh, that'll be sort of the arc of our show over the next few weeks as we work forward. Uh, but let's talk about some of the some of the little bit of news going on. Uh, we've been saying it for weeks now. The obviously the big offseason story this year is the quarterback carousel. It, it figures to be crazier than it's ever been before. Uh, and mostly uh, the, the free agent class is interesting too, and we'll dig in on that later. But it's it's largely the trades that are going to happen. Deshaun Watson being the biggest name. I'm not sure there's been a ton of movement there. It seems like Watson 
is uh, making it known which teams he is most comfortable going to. The Texans remain a complete dumpster fire. We will talk about them cutting J.J. Watt and, and that whole situation in a little bit. But uh, so there's not been quite as much movement with Watson. I think, you know, he's. Uh, the biggest domino probably in NFL history. Uh, so it may take some time, but Carson Wentz, who the Eagles seem intent to, to move on from, and he seems intent to move on from the Eagles. It, it appears that it's down to the bears and Colts at this point with Wentz preferring to go to the Colts, but the bears may be having a better offer. Uh, the offer, uh, the Eagles are not getting anywhere near. I, I mean, the Eagles must have systematic systematically leaked that they wanted a pretty hefty return. And uh, these teams have, uh, have countered that move by leaking that they are not offering like first round picks for Carson Wentz. Uh, it's much more of like a hodgepodge of later picks uh, that, that would be go in return. Um, do you see uh, is Wentz uh, let's, let's focus on the bears first. Cause that's, you know, Matt Nagy has been trying to find a quarterback situation that works. And, and to be fair to Nagy, like he, we all think Mitch Trubisky is a mediocre quarterback. We all know Nick Foles is an up and down quarterback who, at you know, at the end of the day, uh, grades out ultimately as mediocre. Uh, you could get Super Bowl Nick Foles one week, and then you get uh, Nick Foles who constantly loses his starting job. Nick Foles <laughs> every other week. Right. Um, so and Nagy has like I I think he's actually done a decent job with what he's had. So. It would Wentz be enough of an upgrade there uh, coming off this as you constantly, but like, I don't, I'm not sure people have comprehended how bad Carson Wentz was this year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's the thing with me. Like, do, like, do people really understand like how bad he was? Like, it's not, it's not just like, Oh, you know, like he had a bad season that happened. Right. Like, you know, even guys like Matt Ryan have had bad seasons. Right. Matthew Stafford. It's not like he like right. had an off year. Like, he had one of the worst seasons in NFL history, uh, and especially when you adjust it for like how much easier passing is now. And like, if you just look at basically like the easy way to do it is just look at, you know, the average for that year in any stat. And then basically just look and see where he relates in terms of that average. And uh, it was awful for him. Uh, he led the league in fifth with 15 interceptions, which is, pretty impressive considering he only played 12 games and like also just the <laughs> fact that the league leader in interceptions is only 15 now like that kind of says a lot about right right how right. much easier passing is getting but you know the the league the league average this year for yards per attempt was 7.2 and Wentz was at 6.0 like that like 1.2 drop off is is massive uh he had a QBR in the 40s this year he led the league in sacks and yards lost from sacks Right. Uh, it, it it was just a complete mess from him, and like to even expect that he gets back to whatever you consider the best form of him to be, which is I guess the 2017 season, and even that is like you know you kind of got lucked out by just having a dominant year on third and long, which is not something that's sustainable, like as we have right. seen what went. So you know, I I, I think. You know, or what I thought was like as we're we're moving through this is, you know, Jared Goff at this point is a better quarterback than Carson Wentz, and the Rams had to give away an extra first round pick <laughs> to get rid of his contract in that right. trade with the Lions. So I'm I'm I was sitting here reading all this stuff about <laughs> you know how the how the the Bears are going to send two first round picks for Carson Wentz. I'm like, what world? Like, are one like if this is true, like what world are the bears living in? And if it's not true, then what world are the Eagles living in? And I think right. that as we've seen over the past, you know, couple of weeks and that there's honestly been no traction on this trade whatsoever. Uh, or, or at least publicly, there hasn't really been any, any traction on this trade. I think it goes to show that the Eagles were definitely the ones putting out that uh, right. someone's offering two first round picks for Wentz. And for me, that just, that just shows that you don't really know what you have in your hand. Like it, it, to me, that shows like the Eagles don't really understand how bad Carson Wentz was either, because if you got to give away picks to get rid of Jared Goff, the Carson Wentz is most certainly uh, in the same boat. And he, honestly, the year that Brock Osweiler got shipped off to the Browns, 
like he had a better season than Carson Wentz had this past year. Right. Uh, so it, it, it's just, it's just kind of crazy that, <laughs> that the Eagles think that he can still be valued. It's like this highly touted commodity and that we're here in a spot where, you know, you're kind of in a stalemate with, <laughs> I guess one of the worst quarterbacks ever from, from last year. And right. The fact that they think that they can get like really big, uh, I, I guess you know, picks back for him is just it's just kind of crazy. Especially when you think yeah. about all the financials that are involved. Like Bill Barnwell uh, made a really good point on Twitter last night where he was talking about the Bears trading for Carson Wentz. Like if you trade for Carson Wentz, uh, that basically means you're going to have to say goodbye to Allen Robinson. You're going to have to cut maybe both of your starting tackles from last year just to get underneath the cap. And that's kind of right. what you were talking about, about how the cap is just screwing up all of this uh, because they had to adjust it for, you know, the coronavirus earnings. And, you know, it, like if you tell me that Carson Wentz is going to go to the bears with no out, those guys, and, and, right. right. That's, that's just as bad or maybe even worse than what he was dealing with it's, this year. So I, I just disaster. don't get that. Yeah. yeah. And that's, bad. that's the thing about the Wentz situation, right? Like, Eagles fans, the Eagles front office, like they are couching it as, well, Wentz had a bad supporting cast this year. And if you put him in a better supporting cast, he will get back to being, you know, at least a league average quarterback that can run an offense. And that's all the Bears need. Like that's enough of a step up for the Bears that that's a huge difference maker for them. Uh, I don't think any of us believe that that's true, that, that, that that's all the Bears need and that Wentz will deliver that level of performance. But the the thing we really need to look at, uh, our uh, friend of the podcast, Seth Galina, PFF Seth, wrote a, a really compelling story making the case that Deshaun Watson was the best quarterback in the NFL this year because he had an awful supporting cast. And that's where you can see the differences. Like, Watson had a bad supporting cast and he figured out how to make them better. He was good enough to to elevate that cast. Wentz actively made the Eagles worse repeatedly. Like mm-hmm. he made all he made bad decision after bad decision, tried to do things that were outside of the offense, fought against uh, the changes that Doug Peterson was trying to make to fix the offense and make it work. Uh, if you watched Wentz on a regular basis, uh, this year, uh, first, I'm sorry because that was that was very difficult. Uh, but but second, you realize that this is just a guy who is not uh, playing in rhythm. He's not going to to step in like that. Whatever part of Wentz that once could have done that, it's not there now. He's just not going to be a guy who slips into a system and figures it out. Um, I don't see the Bears getting that quarterback for him. And like you said, if they have nobody to support him with then it's it's just a disaster. It's a disaster. Um, uh, yeah, I, I just, I don't understand how you can be a team that trades for Carson Wentz. Like, how do you sell that to your fan base? Uh, and it, it's got to be a team with, like, it, it would have to be a team with, like, cap space, like, to actually right. trade for him. I, I just can't see, outside, yeah, I mean, like, I think, maybe, maybe Denver, like, John Elway is just like, eh, yeah. I'm going to dip my toes back into GM waters. It, it, it's just... <laughs> It's just tough to, to find a, a real spot for him. Right. I mean, I think that's why the Colts probably ultimately make uh, – I'm not saying it makes sense from the Colts standpoint, but if this is going to end up heading anywhere, the Colts can at least sell, hey, we're reuniting him with Frank Reich, and these two, they have a special bond, and that was when Carson played his best. And they have – like, they're not going to be in cap hell by taking on Carson Wentz, right? Like, they – they have a situation where they can they, they can at least conceivably say, hey, we can fit this guy uh, at this cap hit. And it's as good as we're going to do, given what's out there. And now I don't again, I don't believe that's true, but you could see how the Colts might actually make that case. But they they obviously know that Wentz is not worth a lot because they, too, are holding out from giving the Eagles anywhere near what the Eagles appear to be demanding. So I think that they are going to try to wait it out. Now, Wentz is due some sort of bonus. Is it early March or right after the league year? Can't remember when. But so that's sort of the deadline for when the Mm -hmm. Eagles will probably want to move on from him. Uh, And I think that the Colts are just going to wait it out. And, yeah, I mean they're not in any rush to right. to get this thing done. And they have they have cap space. Uh, 
out the ass, like just uh, according to spelltrack.com, they're second this year in cap space uh, with $78.5 million to spend, which is a good spot to be in. I mean, they, I know they don't have the quarterback situations figured out, but, you know, maybe if the Cowboys screw this thing up with Dak Prescott, like that's a pretty nice landing spot for them. Uh, I don't know if they will, but, you know, they, they've got options. I don't think they need to corner themselves into this Carson Wentz hole. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many moving parts this time this year uh, with the quarterback situation that it's it's really much different. I mean, I remember like last year it was like, hey, is is Jameis going to end up somewhere like what's going to happen to Teddy Bridgewater and uh, Cam Newton? Uh, you know, and Brady, obviously, but like there was just not as many Marcus Mariota. Like we were just sort of talking about names that um you know, you could see teams taking a chance on and, and seeing what they get. But but this year, there are many, many of those guys on that list. So uh, it'll be interesting. And we'll, we'll talk about those when we get to the free agent section. I want to discuss um, – you guys probably saw that former uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers wide receiver Vincent Jackson uh, died. He was found – dead in his hotel room on monday um it's only 38 years old it apparently checked into a hotel uh last month at some point and was living you know he has a family but he was living in a hotel in in south florida uh his family had actually lost contact with him the week before asked police to do a welfare check police found him in the hotel and said you know he was alive and okay a couple days later he was found dead um, it just a, a terrible story. We're just getting some details now. The the sheriff down there has said that a uh, the autopsy showed that Jackson was dealing with um, alcoholism, that he had, he was uh, you know, dealing with some addiction, and his family has said that they suspected he has CTE. Uh, had CTE that his brain will show CTE from the the impacts of football. Um, this led. Ryan Leaf, uh, former number two overall pick. You guys probably know the Ryan Leaf story. Flamed out of the league. Eventually went through his own addiction issues and has since become, uh, you know, quite frankly, a a pretty impressive spokesperson for former players and for uh, sort of for the heart of football, for for Mm -hmm. the people who play the game and and who who make it happen. He's really become a guy who speaks out on that. Uh, And he posted just a, a really I mean, he's decimated in this video that he posted to Twitter. After this, uh, he said the NFL just doesn't expletive care. They don't care. They'll write condolence letters and expletive like that. But if they were invested, they'd actually put some money behind the legends community and into the mental health substance abuse side of it. Once you're bad for the brand, the shield they could give to expletive. I don't know what to expletive do. They don't get how precious life is. And then I have this expletive survivor's guilt, a ton of it. You need to do something. Just be part of the solution. Uh, Leaf has said that he was, you know, the, the Jackson news is what has set him off but he was also talking to other former players uh, that day and and hearing about their struggles with mental illness and we, and we know this is going on right like this is this is an undercurrent that we know former players are dealing with this uh and that it, it's not <laughs> it's just not being talked about and it's such a difficult thing because these players are so uh, to be an NFL player, you have to be so incredibly tough, both mentally and physically. Like you have to get to a different level uh, to to just make it in the league. It, it's uh, I uh, like you know you've been to an NFL practice, you've been on on the sideline during a game. Like the the violence in this game is incomprehensible for most it's, people. Uh, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, even just like, I mean, I was, I was at Jets practices last year and, uh, you know, watching the football team practices before they hired, uh, Ron Rivera a few years ago. And I mean, those teams were bad and even like the worst NFL players, like they move like the freaking flash, like the the superhero character. It's, it's, it's insane. It's like, I can't even imagine the, cause I mean, I, I only played. You know, I got through high school and played a couple of years of Division Three football, and like my body is messed up from that. And I can't even imagine what it's like if you're like. Can you imagine if you're 
you got to tackle like Julio Jones or Marshawn no. Lynch, like open field, no. like that would hurt or take a hit from Ray Lewis. And, and you're doing multiple that over times and a day over like, and over again. Yeah. Right. I can't imagine that happening once. Like I, I, I used to watch hits at college football practices and be like, I, I like I'm living my life to never get hit that hard ever. <laughs> you know, like that is my goal. It's like uh, because it's it's really uh, like it's it's hard to explain unless you've been up close to it. Uh, how brutal the game is. Uh, you know, that's obviously part of the attraction of it, too, because when you're it's, a, it's sanitized when you're watching from 50 rows up or, or on TV uh, and it's it's a, a, a lovely game to watch. Like we, you know, we host a podcast about it. We write about it. Like there's obviously something that makes it great. But as a player, it's like the the mental and physical ability to to endure that. I think what happens is that so many players get out of it and it's jarring, right? Because they're, um, I mean, frankly, most of them are 27 when they stop playing football and they've got a million dollars or something. You know, they don't have money that will change their lives forever, but they have enough money to try to figure out what's next. But they don't know how to because they've been training to be an athlete for their entire lives. Like they've been working for this one thing. And then all of a sudden they have to find a way to recreate themselves. And they have this mental aspect where uh, toughness is so important that you just you mm-hmm. you work your way through it. You brave your way through everything. You hurt yourself uh, through it for no right for no reason really. Uh, yeah, like that is the that is how you become valuable on an for for those guys. If you're not Aaron Rodgers, Vontae, like if you're not one of the guys that everyone in the league can name, everyone every fan can name. Like you, <laughs> keeping your job is about gutting through injuries and being tough and being there uh, and, and playing through harm. It just is like that's uh, and it creates a situation. And I mean, Ryan Leaf's right. Like the NFL has certainly uh, put programs in place. Uh, they can, if you reached out to a, an NFL spokesperson right now, they would tell you, well, we've done this, that, the other, we've given this much money. We've done, uh, we're, we're taking these efforts, but it's not the results are not there, right? Like we're not seeing, I, I think there are so many more players out that Ryan leaf was really talking. Uh, he was speaking for a lot of people. Uh, you know, he was, yeah. that's not him just venting. It's him trying to funnel up guys who feel like they don't have the platform. Cause also you're in the club, right? Like you're in the club of NFL players and you don't want to break from that club. Uh, you don't want to speak out and you're trained not to. That's another thing is that you're trained to be, part of the group you train to 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 to, you know stay on the message of the team uh and so it's it's a tough situation and i I, i'm i'm afraid to see what we're going to learn about vincent jackson you know as as details come out more here um but uh, it's it's good to see ryan leaf trying to spread this message and get the attention for former players uh that is needed because you know, you you've been in a locker room or, or on Zoom meetings, I guess, more recently with players. But mm-hmm. it's a it's a really tough job. Uh, it's it's. Yeah. And I know just for me, I guess over the past few years, Ryan Leaf has become someone that I guess like you, you sympathize with more a little bit because you I mean, obviously, like he's had missteps. So he's done some bad things. Right. But can you imagine being the number two pick and not only the number two pick, but like behind Peyton freaking Manning. Right. And like as good as Peyton's career was, yours was like just as bad. And (laughs) (laughs) polar opposite, polar polar opposite career. Uh, Like, like if you just go and to pro pro football reference and look at Ryan Leaf's game log, it's, insanely bad right uh and obviously that's just going to lead to you being a national punchline and people making jokes to you all the time and uh i just kind of admire how he's been able to i guess you know later in life bounce back from that a little bit and become an advocate for this because it's like it's a very real issue uh that nfl players struggle with and as we know the nfl is not always willing to help their players out once they uh, retire from the league and move on. And I'm not sure if that was what was happening with Vincent Jackson here, uh, 100%. But we know for a fact that the NFL does not do enough with players who are really struggling, whether it's financial help or 
just medical help. And we know, you know, you got 32 billionaires running this thing and right. money pumping in out the ass. And you just know that if they really wanted to, they could, they could do a better job and step up and help people. And it just makes you wonder, like, does it, like, this doesn't have to happen to, you know, Vincent Jackson or Junior Seau or other guys who have uh, passed away far too early from, uh, f- from, you know, whether it's football related injuries or illnesses, it's just, it, it's just, it's not good. Uh, right. So hopefully, you know, I, I doubt that it is, but hopefully this is kind of the wake up call that the NFL needs because I think a lot of people are not just Ryan Leaf are kind of calling them out like, Hey, like you guys have the resources to make a difference here and you're actively choosing not to what gives. Right. So ho- hopefully, right. hopefully we can get a change there because this, the Vincent Jackson news is, is incredibly sad. And you just have to think about the different ways that could have gone. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is especially jarring because uh, I mean, he, I, I forget which years he was, it was all pro three times. Uh, but you know, I remember him making big plays and like, 2012 like this is not that long ago that he was a a functioning a a high functioning member of an nfl team uh and you just this is not happening with uh like the nba does not have scads of ex-players that are going through things like delante west has has been dealing with mental health issues and that's gotten a, a lot of news but like that's it there's no paragraph after the delante west story that's like oh and the other players that have done that whereas like i can write that uh, that Dave, you know, Dave Dwyer's and J- Junior Seau both shot themselves in the chest. Uh, Andre Waters killed, like all these players. You can, the, the, like, I basically have that text memorized in my head of the players, the former NFL players who've dealt with issues. LeRon McLean talks about it a lot. Larry Johnson, mm-hmm. the former Chiefs uh, running back, has talked about it openly. Um, so it's, it, you know, this is clearly an issue that that needs more attention. Uh, so we'll see if that happens. Uh, mentioned earlier that the Texans <laughs> continue to be uh, just just uh, I, I mean, I, I'm trying to think of something that's this poorly run anywhere. Uh, I, I guess maybe the vaccine rollout by, by by the Trump administration. I don't even know. Like, the, like, what do you compare <laughs> yeah. this to? Uh, so the, the Texans are moving on from J.J. Watt. They uh, they. JJ himself released a video last week saying, Hey, I wanted to tell you guys, I wanted to tell the fans that I spoke to the, the owners uh, and then we mutually decided to part ways. Uh, and then I think it was Ian Rappaport tweeted like, Oh, the Texans wanted to let JJ uh, go out on his own terms. They wanted to treat him with class. Uh, which like I'm sure they thought that was going to get them some sort of goodwill, but the fact that they like tr- they just like discarded DeAndre Hopkins uh, a year ago for nothing and like just sort of treated him poorly and have treated Deshaun Watson horribly, like pretending like they were going to care about what he thought about the coaching and GM search and then not caring. Uh, they have not treated those guys with class, but oh, we got to treat JJ Watt with class. When, while meanwhile they probably could have traded him and gotten some much needed assets for the actual franchise. Uh, I mean, they just, they fumble everything, man. Like they just, they, I, I, the I, extent I which never, they have no idea what they're doing is insane. I've never seen anything like this. Uh, it, it makes no sense. I mean, just, just I, I wrote about it, I guess a, a couple, maybe a month ago at this point, but like the levels of historic incompetence it takes to burn this thing down in record time. And I, a lot of people pointed to the divisional round game last year where they were up 24, nothing right. Chiefs. Like that's <laughs> insane. Like you were, you, I mean, I, I don't think that they were going to win that game and like they lost and, and whatever, but that's not even like the important part. Like you were up 24 to nothing on what is about to be the next, you know, dynasty in the NFL. And just a year later, like literally a calendar year later, it has all completely fallen apart. Like whether that's, you know, due to Bill O'Brien making insane trades, like trading two first round picks for a left tackle and trading away DeAndre Hopkins for zero first round picks or trading away Jadavion Clowney, who at that point was still a pretty good player for like a third round pick and some change. Like what's going on here? Like I, I just don't understand 
how this is all possible. And I, I've actually heard from people that, you know, as you know, like this part, in, this part of the offseason, like you're, you're trying to figure out, like, if you're an agent, where your players are going to go and, and stuff like that. And I've actually heard that for people who are interested in, you know, their players joining the Texans, they have to hit up Jack Easterby. So like, right. it still shows that he's still, he's still very right. much he's in, charge, the guy in charge. And I don't know if you guys have seen like these Twitter videos of him doing, Oh my gosh. It, it's like a cross between like preaching and horrible standup. Like one time he said he was like crip walking for Jesus or, or something along those lines. I'm like, yo, of course, black <laughs> players don't like this. Like, it's corny as hell. It's quite frankly, really weird and really odd. And like, this guy has no business being in charge of an NFL team. And the only reason that he's still there, through all the objections that former players have made, uh, that current players have made, because obviously, obviously, Easterby is a source of very real contempt. Like, even guys like DJ Reader, who plays for the Brown or plays for the Bengals now. Like he commented on it when that stuff was going on towards the end of the season, and he's in Cincinnati. Like, right, there's, right. No, there's nothing good going on there. And right. uh, they're next on the list of, bat, of poorly run teams, but they're so far above that. Right. It's, uh, right. So, like, the only reason that you can still be there through all these object, like all these black players, all these good players, saying that this dude's a problem. The only reason he's still there is because he has he shares the same worldview as Cal McNair to right. some extent. And that's that's the real problem. Like when you see reports from Adam Adam Schefter uh, a few weeks back saying that the only way that Deshaun wants to come back basically is if Calvin Nair sells a team. Like Jack Easterby is being enabled by someone. He does not own the team. He is running it, and that is just a, a really huge problem for Texans fans. And, and it just seems like Cal McNair is putting his weirdo beliefs or whatever in front of actually running a good team, which, you know, this, at the end of the day, this is a perfect rich guy thing. Right. Right. Rich guy thing, man. Right. And and at the end of the day, this is right. And it's a business that's been handed down to him and he doesn't really know. And you just make money by sitting on it. Like you just, (laughs) he's going to make the the money in the franchise is the fact that every year it gains, $250 $250 million in value or whatever. I don't, you know, I haven't looked lately, but it, like if he just sits on it for another 10 years, he's going to sell it for, I mean, what, what will a, fr- what will an NFL franchise be in 10 years? $10 billion. I don't even know. Like you can't, it's, it's impossible to even try to project that. And that's, so it doesn't matter. He doesn't, he doesn't need, there is no imperative for him uh, to make the, the franchise function. Like he is just going to get value out of it no matter what. So here we are. Yeah. Uh, that, what that's do you the think? Disgusting part. I'm just, yeah. Like, it's gross. It, it, the, Deshaun Watson doesn't have to play a snap for them this year and they're going to make money. That's right. part of the issue. Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, where do you think JJ Watt ends up? He, while we, why, while we were recording, JJ took to Twitter and just wrote free agency is wild. Um, so he must be hearing from a lot of teams. I would guess uh, this is a guy who are, are, our pal Nate Tice points out in a reply to that tweet, a little different recruiting than heading to Mount Pleasant as a uh, two-star tight end. Uh, you know, J.J. Watt was not a, a big player coming out of high school. You know, th- this is really his first chance to, uh, you know, use the player he's become to to find a new home. Where do you think he ends up? What, what are your initial thoughts? Yeah, I think Green Bay makes a lot of sense. Uh, I, I think Cleveland has also been rumored for him. And, yeah, I, th- I think the thing with J.J. Watt, and I thought that Sam Monson for PFF wrote a really good piece about this the other day where he was just writing that, you know, J.J. Watt, the edge defender, not as valuable as he used to be. That J.J. Watt, like the interchangeable interior defensive lineman, is still a really valuable player. And I, I kind of agree right. with that, like after going back and watching some film. And I think that, like, I don't, I don't know if it's like – Charles Woodson level impact where you kind of move on to a new team and switch positions and you're like, Oh wow. Hall of Famer in two positions. Right. Uh, but it's like kind of the same premise, I guess, where you know, if JJ Watt wants to have like this second half of his career where he's just like a buzzsaw at three technique. Then I think that that opportunity right. is, is certainly available for him. It just kind of depends on what position he sees himself at moving forward. But like, if you can get, if you're the Packers and you can put Kenny Clark next to JJ Watt 
and Darius Smith and, and what Rashawn Gary was doing to close the season. Like, I don't see how you don't push for that. Like, if you're the Browns and you can put J.J. Watt next to Miles Garrett, like, that is really enticing. Yeah. And, you know, at this point in his career, J.J. Watt's not going to cost you $20 million to come on down to your football team. So, uh, I think one of those two teams uh, makes a lot of sense. Uh, maybe there's a team with a lot of cap space, like the Colts. Maybe if they want to make a splash to just throw cash at him uh, to get the thing done. But uh, I, I, I would expect JJ to go to a team that has played in the playoffs very recently because uh, right. I know that seems that seems to be his focus is winning. Right, right. Like, right. We all we all know that that's a, a really important thing for him. And you know, if you see the video uh, where he and Deshaun Watson are walking off. The field after they lose their last game of the season, he's like, right. "Yeah, we wasted one of your years," and yeah, that's one very true and very honest. And uh, two, I think it shows that he is very focused on just trying to win. So I think Cleveland, Green Bay, uh, make a lot of sense for him. And if he wants to, you know, join up with his bro in Pittsburgh, right. that would also be kind of cool because you would have all three Watt brothers on the same team. Yeah, yeah, that'd be interesting. All right, well, we'll we'll track that story as it unfolds. Uh, let's let's break down quickly the timeline for the off season. Uh, as I said, no, uh, no combine at the end of this month. That's generally the sort of the thing we're thinking about at this point. the The workouts will be on campus. Will be much more scattered. Uh, we'll just have to see how the coverage of that unfolds. What sort of information we're getting. It won't be as regimented, where you know you're getting all the same numbers tracked by the same people. It'll be much more of a wild west. Uh, you know, combine started in what '87, I think. Uh, so, and, and even in those days, it was it was small and not really anything like what we saw the last few years. So, this will be sort of a return to that, where teams are trying to, you know, the job is is not evaluating the information you have; it's finding the right information. Uh, it's a little bit of a different gig this offseason for the people who need to make these choices. Uh, so that'll be a little bit different. The franchise tag uh, d- deadline happens a little bit before that. I think it's the 23rd this year uh, that that starts. Um, I don't, you know, we're thinking about that. There's probably Dak Prescott is the biggest name who could get tagged again, depending on how things are going. You know, that that scenario has been so screwed up by the Cowboys in the first place that whatever it's hard to predict what'll happen next whether they'll go that route or whether they'll actually finally pay their franchise qb uh alan robinson and kenny galladay are wide receivers who could end up getting tagged uh you know they're two of the bigger names uh on our on our list that we're going to discuss later so we'll i i imagine in a later show closer to that actual deadline that would be what next week i guess man time is flying we'll uh we'll look a little bit closer at what's going on there um, and and see who we actually think might end up getting getting tagged in the various tags that exist now. Um, the tampering period, you know, there's that three day period where there's where teams can negotiate, and that's generally if uh, that's where a lot of the news actually breaks of where players are going to end up. That starts March 15th and lasts till the 17th. The 17th is the dawn of a new league year. Uh, where deals can actually be completed. There's always a flurry of activity then. And then uh, the draft is supposed to be April 29th in Cleveland. Whether or not that'll actually happen in person is still being worked out. Uh, You know, last year's was obviously virtual and uh, it's unclear exactly. I don't... uh, some people are getting vaccines. Some people aren't. Yeah, we'll, we'll just see see sort of we'll how see, it unfolds. What happens. Yeah, we'll, we'll play it by ear. Uh, so that's the general trace of this uh, offseason. And I, I think we want to talk about the the offensive uh, players that are are likely to become free agents and where they might end up. Um, I'll Let's let's start with quarterbacks. I mean, I mentioned this earlier that it's it's going to be one of the most interesting years. We talked about Wentz. We, we talked about Watson. Uh, the Prescott thing is, you know, he obviously was injured last year, uh, but and and had sort of bet on himself. He was he was trying to prove to the Cowboys that he you know he he was going to be worth the sort of deal that he was pushing for, and ended up getting hurt, and now frankly has lost some leverage i mean unfortunately that is that is what has happened uh the the cowboys waited it out and 
that's you know they yeah. they sort of won out on this one unfortunately so we'll in the worst way possible <laughs> right right it's mean, terrible uh, uh so Prescott, who uh, Cam Newton uh, does not look like he is going to to reunite with the Patriots, as far as we can tell at this point. Uh, Jameis Winston is going to be out there. Mitch Trubisky, uh, if if the Bears are in fact going to move on, so there's a couple names uh, on the quarterback front. Uh, what are you looking at with this with this group? Well, I mean, Dak's a big name and. I think we can kind of like assume that the Cowboys Blues franchise tag him again because they, I think they really saw this past year, like how much uh, Dak Prescott managed to the team and that they were kind of screwed without him. Right. Right. Uh, but at the same time, like they've, they've screwed this up so bad. Like, I, I don't know. Like I, I expect him to hit this franchise tag, but I also wouldn't be surprised if he hit free agency, if he hit free agency, like he should be one of the highest, like price free agents that we've seen in a long, long time. Uh, right. Just like, cause if you're the Colts, like why not throw a bag at that Prescott or if you're even the jets, like why not think like you have to at least have to like ponder it for a second. I don't know if you do it because you know, you're so far away from, from like winning the Super Bowl that it may be a little bit hard to com- commit to that right now. But, Man, like if he hit free agency, that would be one really cool to see just like as a, an experiment too. Like it would just completely reset uh the quarterback market. But you know, right. I think likely he ends up in in Dallas. But I think the two more two most interesting guys to me are Cam Newton and Jameis Winston, just because yeah. dude Jameis had no business being Taysom Hill's backup last oh. year. And I, I know that you know the the Saints went like five and zero. Uh, or something like that in the five games that Taysom Hill started, but Jesus, man, like he's definitely a better thrower than Taysom Hill. And yeah, like there's the insanely reckless part of his game that may or may not have been ironed out with a year on the bench behind Drew Brees and Taysom. I don't know. Uh, But I just think he's talented enough still that he will probably get another, just like one more chance to start in this league. I don't know where it's at. Like, I think if I'm the Eagles and I trade away Carson Wentz, like I'm looking at Jameis to come in and compete for the starting job with Jalen Hurts, uh, just to give you like some level of standardized, like starting quarterback play uh, right. for, for, for sure. a year. And then Cam Newton, like, I don't, I don't think it was like, I mean, Steven has talked a lot about this. Like I, I I'm with Steven. I don't think he was as bad last year as, as people no. let on and he was dude, he was only throwing like by the end of the year, he was legit only throwing like 12, 15 passes a game. So like, I'm not even sure like how much stock you can even uh, put, put into like everything he was doing by the end of the year. And I don't think that whatever happened last year for him the production put up, I don't think that that's like the end of Cam Newton's career, but it will probably make him st- harder for him to get uh, a starting job in uh in the upcoming season so i I, i'm i'm really intrigued because those those two seem like if i'm kind of strapped for cash and i would like a quarterback upgrade but we have the pieces elsewhere like i would definitely take a swing at one of those guys just to see what they can do for a year but uh it it just seems like at this point cam's career it's going to be tough to to reattain like that starting quarterback status yeah yeah the winston thing is is definitely very interesting because you know, we all we talked about like oh Brady adapted to the the Bucks offense, but but in fact the Bucks offense came back to Brady a little bit. Uh, Brady threw twelve interceptions, and a lot of them were before the offense started to change a little bit. Like that, it's just a high variance offense. It's, mm-hmm. that, that offense is just tough. Like Winston in a different system. Like uh, James Winston's obviously going to make bad decisions and make uh, risky throws. But but as Steven has says all the time, like that is better than a quarterback who never tries those because Winston, a lot of times he makes those throws and mm-hmm. th- therefore he makes throws that other guys can't make. And that really like the value added there makes up for the fact that 
okay, you're you're throwing a higher number. His number was way too high, obviously, two years ago. <laughs> but if he can bring it down a little bit, he's a, a valuable player. Uh, running backs, it's uh, Adrian Peterson's out there, man. Frank Gore. Uh, if you want, <laughs> yeah, if you want like, somebody as old as me, uh, you can you can sign those guys. Uh, you guys just hang it up already. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's wild, man. That they're still out there. Uh, Kenyon Drake and Todd Gurley are twenty seven year old reclamation projects probably i mean Gurley obviously was better at his peak but has really been hobbled ever since the super bowl um just has not looked like he had much burst uh leonard fournette who played in the most recent super bowl and and looked good is out there as well um yeah interesting group i mean it's you know it's running back you you don't really have to pay guys and you can take some yeah. rests That's yeah i think that thing. uh the little kenny and drake experiment with the cardinals uh Last year, like when they gave him the franchise tag, I was like, "What?" I was like, "What is this for?" Uh, and I remember we seen King and Drake going like top three or top four in like fancy drafts. Like this just seems like someone who's not actually going to be right any any real part of this offense. And he he was just just a little piece for them. Uh, and I think it's like for him and it's like between him and Fournette maybe for like the most intriguing options to add to your team because, you know, Kenyon Drake still has big playability at times. And Leonard Fournette, we saw like what value he can bring. It's just kind of like a, a hammer. And if he can manage to get his hands on the ball, uh, he has some value there. But I thought that Todd Gurley was interesting just because of like the track of his career. I mean, we were talking about this guy as a, yeah, you know, like elite potential, like hall of fame running back uh, just a few years ago. And, it, it, it's just insane that, you know, would anyone be surprised if Todd Gurley like retired this off season? No, <laughs> not and, at all. And and it's not really. It, it just sucks for him because like he was so good and so talented, but that like you said, that knee just kind of ate him up. And I remember, you know, just watching Falcons games last year, and it was like, man, this dude. Obviously, like the Derek Carter offense didn't help him at all. And the, <laughs> the Falcons run blocking was you know shaky at times, but. He just really had nothing left in the tank. And I think that the main thing that this free agent class shows you is that you just don't need to pay for a running back ever. Because, I mean, right. just look at the like the guys who are in the free agency group that had the top, uh, you know, average salaries last year it was Kane Drake, Todd Gurley, Mark Ingram, Tevin Coleman. Like, you, you, you can kind of... I, right. I will say, like, at, at, and Kenyon Drake was eight point five million. Like, it's not right. You know, it, it doesn't make any sense. Right. Uh, and I don't want to. I don't want to just slander running backs, but like, you can just kind of see the career arc for these guys. And it's it's just a brutal position to play. It's tough. It's, I mean, right? It's kind of amazing that Asian Peterson and Frank Gore are still out here. It's and absolutely amazing. I thought that Frank Gore looked pretty solid at times with the Jets last year. Uh, like, you know, not obviously not breaking off any long gains, but someone who can just kind of get you going a little bit and pick up first downs. Like I thought he had like kind of a decent season, just when you right. can see everything else that was put around him. But man, like it, it, you, it just shows that, you know, if you find a guy in the fourth round of the draft or the fifth round of the draft, like he honestly might just be good enough to, to carry that for a few years and then just discard from the next, next guy. And I don't right. know what you do to fix this running back problem because I do think it is a problem. Yeah, uh, Absolutely. I mean, what young kid would ever play running back? Right. You know, like you, if, if you were, if you got really talented and you could go be, you know, add 20 pounds to become an outside linebacker, like, you know, uh, which is not a, another huge value, but it's position, but you, you can have a career, you know, you yeah, can have I mean, eight, nine year career in the league. Uh, it's, it's, it's brutal. Tough. It's, it's tough. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's not, it's not a really exciting class, but I just thought there were some interesting names in there. Receiver. Yeah, for sure. Receiver is, I mean, I'm just, I'm going to buzz through these names real quick. These are just the names that Charles has highlighted as interesting to him. AJ Green, Allen Robinson, T.Y. Hilton, Corey Davis, Will Fuller, Antonio Brown, Curtis Samuel, Juju Smith-Schuster, Josh Gordon, Chris Godwin, Kenny Galladay. And then there are others too. I mean, there are other guys, Willie Sneed's on here, Brashad Perriman, who was a first round pick and, and has flashed at times. Sammy Watkins, uh, like this is this is just stacked, right? Like the the amount of movement that we're going to see at the wide receiver position uh, can really reshape the league. I think. Yeah, and if you're like if you're a team that's thinking about 
or is like if you're a team like Jacksonville that's guaranteed to add a star quarterback in the draft or at least a highly talented one, like why would you not go after go get him. Yeah. one of these guys? Because not all these guys are going to be franchise tag, and it's not just you know Antonio Brown where he's probably going to hit free agency because he's got some other stuff going on, but it's Kenny Galladay. 28 years old. Chris Godwin, 25 years old. Julius smith yeah. 25. Curtis Samuel, 25. Will Fuller, 27. Corey Davis, 26. Al Robinson, 28. Like, these are all guys that have a, a lot of good years of football left. And, you know, even if you just look at Kenny Galladay, who's a little bit older than uh, some of the rest of them, like, he's like a, a big, you know, jump ball receiver whose game should age, like, pretty well uh, right. in this league because I don't think that he's he needs to rely on his speed to to make things happen for him. But, man, like, if you're if you're Jacksonville or the Jets or, you know, the Dolphins where you've got Tua and he needs some more weapons, like, why are you not throwing big money at one of these guys? Because that can really transform your offense. I and mean, we were talking a little bit before about teams that can take a leap. Like, Let's say you're let's say you're the Jets and you're thinking about bringing in Zach Wilson or Justin Fields or Trey Lance into your team in a couple of months, and you already have a guy in Denzel Mims. You have Jameson Crowder, who is a pretty good slot receiver, but you clearly don't want him being your best receiver, as last season showed. Why not go sign Will Fuller or Juju or Chris Godwin? Like, if you have the money, this just seems like such a, a rich free agent class. To go out and get a guy, it, it just makes way too much sense, right? I want to let's uh, the the there are some tight ends. The tight end, I don't the tight end class doesn't interest me that too much. Hunter Henry, no. Rob Gunkowski, Gerald Everett, Johnny Smith. I mean, there are guys, but uh, the wide receiver class is really where it's at. So I want to ask you the three teams that you have identified as being in position to really make some major changes: uh, Jaguars, Jets, and Patriots. Uh, I, the Patriots have needed wide receivers forever, uh, but. Tell me what uh, – break it down for me. Like, what actually would you do? What uh, – if you if you were in charge and you had the space that is projected. The Jaguars have all the, the cap space in the world. Like, the, it's – what is it, 77 million, something like that? It's, mm-hmm. it's a huge number. The Jets are not far behind, uh, and the Patriots are in good position to it, like 62. These are all teams that have been – building toward this uh how what what are you thinking if you're in charge of each of those teams uh you know i if, if i'm the jaguars first i'm trying to get will fuller man uh because i because I, I think that dj chark has gotten to a place where he's a little bit underrated but he's like a big speed speed guy receiver and uh i think just adding someone across from him like will fuller especially when you if you go back and watch clemson play trevor lawrence on these deep balls like when that when it's all Set in perfect form, and even honestly, when it's not, when the block is not great for him, and things are starting to break down, he's still someone that can go out there and hit a freaking fifty-yard strike like on a dime, and you know that that's why he's uh, you know Tanner is one of the best quarterback prospects ever. Uh, but that, like, you have the option to really open up your offense with that, and you're going to have the space to do it. So if you can, if you're if you're looking at offense that's headlined with Trevor Lawrence, DJ Chark and Will Fuller, and also you're taking something from a divisional rival as they're getting weaker and weaker. Like, I just, I just, I like the fit. I like the idea. Uh, if I'm the Patriots, I'm trying to go after Chris Godwin just because I know how much Josh McDaniel and Bill Belichick kind of value that slot receiver role, and why not right. get one that's like, instead of just, you know, one of these guys that barely skates into the league, why not get a guy who's like a freak athlete and uh, can run every round in the book and also play outside too if you need them. Like I, I think, it, with, even without knowing who the quarterback's going to be next year, that's someone uh, that they need to go get. And if I'm the Jets, Allen Robinson is my guy, just because I just don't think that the Jets really have like outside. Like Mims is a good guy to have, but they don't. But he, but he's not Allen Robinson right now, and maybe he can get to that some that point later on in his career, but. Al Robinson to me is just someone that makes life so easy for a quarterback. Like over the years, how many throws have we seen from Blake Bortles, yeah. <laughs> Mitch Trubisky, Nick Foles, where Alan Robinson is like reaching up to high five Jesus before he comes down to grab this ball. Like that, that is just a quarterback's dream. And I think if you're not going to get 
someone that's the caliber of Trevor Lawrence, maybe a step down in Justin Fields or, or Zach Wilson. I think that having, you know, that quarterback friendly target is going to make things really easy uh, for that rookie quarterback coming in. Yeah. Uh, I, I recall Allen Robinson playing at Penn state and making those sort of catches. Oh yeah. With, <laughs> like with, he, with Christian Hackenberg. <laughs> he has made, he has made a lot of quarterbacks look very, very good. Uh, so it would be nice if he ended up somewhere uh, with a quarterback who could make him look as good as he is, uh, you know, whether or not the jets will find that, that player is remains to be seen. Uh, you know, they're one of the teams that could be in on Deshaun Watson. And uh, that would be an amazing pairing. Obviously. Uh, I think that's all the time we got for today. Uh, we obviously there's so much more to dig into. We'll look at the defensive side of the ball next week and start to really break down, um, you know, get a little bit more into the, the, nitty gritty of some of these off season potential moves and, and how they're going to impact the league. Uh, any updates on the news that comes out, you know, there will be some, um, I'm sure we'll start hearing some leaks about the Dak Prescott situation and whatnot as we get closer to key dates. Uh, so we'll have that all for you on the next episode of the counter. Charles, anything we missed, anything you want to close with? Uh, be off of the line class, pretty boring this year. I'm sorry. <laughs> very very boring uh but yeah we will uh we'll be back with all of that next week thank you for joining us and take care the counter an nfl podcast from usa today sports 